You're listening to the Untitled Asian American Music Podcast, episode 4. Today we are talking about Angry Asian Man, Dan's college music experiences, and the dating practices of Richie and Trisha. Alright, welcome to the Untitled Asian American Music Podcast, the nation's number one Untitled Asian American Music Podcast. We are here for episode four, I believe, and we are not dead yet. Yeah. We still have the title. We still we're the still title. the number one. We're, we're still the number one. <laughs> yes. Got a spot. We're, we're holding on to that for dear life. It's been, it's been tough. It's been tough, but I think we're hanging in there. Once right. we get a title, do we lose the number one? Ooh. Ooh. No, we'll just be the number one, whatever our new title is. Ooh. Ooh, yes. We'll be good. Yes. All right. Well, I'm Sean. I'm Esme. I'm Dan. I'm Trisha. I'm Richie. And you're listening to our monthly podcast in which we investigate the world of Asian American music and ever-changing and ever-evolving landscape um, featuring us, just a <laughs> bunch of folks who like, who are Asian American and like Asian American music and are, are participating in that land. And so to kick us off this week, we've got Richie with a, with a topic. Yes. So for this week, um, well, the topic that I wanted to talk with you guys about and just kind of get into is the value that we place or that we see others placing in, in the audiences that receive the music that we make. You know, I know that there's a lot of racial authenticity that's tied to certain genres. For example, like the certain band playing rock that's Asian American, all of a sudden, you know, they have a, a diverse crowd and they be mostly white. You know, uh, some of them feel extra proud. Maybe a hip hop artist that's Asian American, you know, they feel extra like hyped because, you know, you know, five black folks came up to them and said, yo, that's dope. And, and so it's, it goes into this question of the value that we place into our audience. So kind of wanted to get you guys' thoughts about that. Uh, I kind of throw that at Dan as like... Uh, it's something that I've thought about a lot. I actually, I did a show this weekend where I had a really interesting conversation with a group of students on uh, the idea of comfort. And I think that, so uh, for me... As an Asian American artist, when I think about audiences, um, I will agree that like, I'll just be straight up. I feel really excited when I play to audiences that are not all just Asian American. Uh, and I, it, I feel good and bad about that. I feel bad about that because I feel like that I shouldn't be validated by like, like just because there's not Asian people there, that doesn't make the music that much better. It's still the same music. Um, but in just the same way, I feel good about it though because, um, it's less of a question about it being like, are you just playing to like specific audiences? It's about just having music that can, I think, if it's being seen by different people, like broader audiences, I think that's a good thing. And I think that like some artists just play to the, like very, very specific crowds that they know they're, they're going to feel comfortable in front of. And for a lot of Asian American artists, they just feel comfortable playing in front of Asian crowds sometimes. Um, and like me, I'll just, I'll, I'll be honest, like me specifically, sometimes I feel like super comfortable just playing in front of Asian American crowds. But um, uh, when the music is being able to be seen by like broader audiences and like if, if it's being heard by people that are like not just Asian American, if you know that you're specifically playing to an Asian American crowd and other people are coming because they're hearing the music and they really like it, that's a great thing. Um, and so I'm all, I'm, I'm all about, I think, building broader audiences. Uh, but just because the audience is not, not all Asian doesn't make it less of a crowd or less, less of an uh, impressive sound for you as an artist. 
for me, we all know we all we all know Yuna, right? Mm-hmm. The artist Yuna. Mm-hmm. All right. So like for me, when I go to a Yuna show and I see a crowd of like it's it's probably majorly Asian, but I see like a really like diverse crowd there. I'm like, damn, like that's like it's a, it's a good crowd. Obviously, your music's getting out there. It's touching a lot of different people. It's not just because she's Asian or like whatever the time. It's just like it's good music. So she's bringing in like all sorts of different people. Yeah, I guess the question that I I go to with that, um, and this is something for. Particularly, mess me and Dan, just mm-hmm. as like artists who are writing new work. When you're building your work, are you thinking about to what degree mm-hmm. are you thinking about the audience? Mm-hmm. And I know for a lot of artists, like as a writer, I'm always in my head. I have a specific audience that I'm writing to. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially as artists who write super personal work, how does that factor in? I think it really depends for me on what what song I'm working on and. It could also be, you know, a specific project as well. Um, but as someone who's a songwriter and who really loves the craft of songwriting, um, also knowing your style and your lane. Like I love writing personal, universal songs. I love songs that can bring anyone together, but still strike something on a personal level. Um, and so, I kind of I gravitate toward that naturally, and I kind of play toward that. Um, but there are certain songs that may be a lot more specific in regards to my ethnicity or experiences I've had because of my ethnicity. Like I have one song that I haven't released yet, but it's about like getting hit on all the time. People being like, me love you long time, you know? And, and it has like um, specific illustrations, I guess, of mm. what it is to be Asian, an Asian American girl mm. uh, here. Um, so yeah, I think some songs might have that, but for me as an artist, I'm not, it's not something I was like, I'm going to be for this audience and write to this audience. What was the, uh, the Run River North example that you brought up? Can, can you talk about that? Well, I didn't mention the band name, but okay. Let's do that. Well, yeah, so it was, it was a post about Run River North. And, and it was um, a show, I think, that took place in, I think, maybe Atlanta or maybe somewhere on the East Coast. Um, but it was a comment or someone who made the post just saying, you know, I'm very proud that, uh, you know, to see so many diverse people um, supporting this band. And, you know, like, I, I admit, you know, prior to even all this happening or seeing that post or even wanting to talk about this topic, um, yeah, I guess I, I always thought of it like, yeah, it would be cool to have a diverse audience. But then I thought about it like, then when you have a, a bunch, like let's say 300 Asians, are we basically saying we're not diverse? That yeah. we are... Totally. We're not as valuable? We're not. Yeah, we're not as valuable or diverse. Like, just because we all like are like Asian or identify as Asian American, that all of a sudden that puts us in a certain value mm-hmm. and that the the 300 that show up to your show can't be validating enough or kind of like uh, i mean i feel like i hear this less and less but up until a few years ago every time i went to any kind of panel that was about asian american art or featured asian american artists there was always one person on the panel who said something where there was there was always a question from the audience that was like all right how do we support asian american artists and the panel there was always one panelist who would just say whenever you see an asian american artist buy their stuff and there was always like just 100% like, yes, if they're Asian, you buy it, like support mm. them because mm. they're Asian. And so I feel like that's a mentality a lot of people have where you'll support an artist just because of ethnicity. And then that then leads to this, I, I've been hearing it 
teased out a little bit more now where the question is like well what is the obligation of the Asian American community to the Asian American artist mm. like do we do that without you like do we support Asian American artists because we understand that Asian American artists don't get the support like on a corporate level that other artists would um, but at the same time then where's the level of quality control in that <laughs> where you're just buying music literally because of the face mm. um, and so I think like it's people do that for One Direction though <laughs> <laughs> well um, and so I think I think like that's where with the audience I wonder if people look at that Asian American audience they go okay well the reason why they're here is because there's an Asian American person on stage so of course Asian Americans are going to show up so it's kind of like a de facto audience mm. whereas people believe like it takes a little bit more work to attract a non-Asian audience non-Asian American um, listener um, which yeah is a huge question mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people show up for all kinds of different reasons and I think there are a lot of people who like I mean to be honest myself like I listen mostly to Asian American music these days and a lot of that or purchase Asian American music and a lot of that's because like I would rather put my money towards an Asian American artist mm -hmm. and there's so many mm -hmm. amazing Asian American artists mm -hmm. even in this room who's like work that whose work is just as good if not as good as like whatever else I can find on Spotify so um but at the same time, there are also there are also folks who just like you know, generally agnostic of race or whatever. They're like, yeah, I just like this artist, I like this music. Some people find healing in seeing an Asian American face on the stage and like hearing an Asian American story. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that goes back to just how we're valuing ourselves and our communities and how we're perceiving our communities as well, right? Mm -hmm. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And to go back to the, the Run River North uh, comment earlier, I, I think they've just done, like, it's a very positive thing in general. Um, but they've just done a really, really good job. And regardless of the fact that they're eight, they've just done a very good job as artists. They make good music. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's being recognized by just audiences in general. They also are part of a bigger machine, too, that's helping more audiences hear their music that maybe are not afforded to, the, the, like, to other artists. But that's not to say that they don't deserve it. They completely deserve it. They got to that place because they're really, 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 really good. And so um, uh, I would say that like with them having a broader audience, it, 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 that might might make up in our view of broader audiences just not being Asian or like being being more of a diverse like not as many Asian audience um, I just think that for them in that specific situation it's different for other artists that it's a very positive thing it just means that their music is being heard by a lot of different people they've got a broader audience it's wonderful good for them uh, and everything they've been able to accomplish I just want to um just sit, I guess make uh, make a note of kind of like the numbers at work you know because in America, right, I think Asian people who classify as Asian or whatever um, are about 5% of the population. And then um, last time I checked on Wikipedia. Nin 19 million <laughs> rising, 20 million rising, something like that now. <laughs> and then like about, you know, um, around 50-something are Caucasian and then about 15% are black. And, and so it's just number-wise as an artist, if you want to grow and reach more people in this nation, like we're not talking worldwide, we're just saying in the U.S., right? Um, it's so great to have your community support as an Asian American, but with number-wise, right, once you hit 5%, and, and you want to reach more listeners than 5% of the nation, right? It's, it's just going to be other communities, you know? And, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. I think maybe the, but you were saying the, the point and the issue of it is 
do we internally place validation from having people who aren't Asian and then do we devalue our our local audience or our more um, you know community related audience um, that that started out supporting us or that we should kind of not just forget or Right. About. And, and to go on that, that's what I was also thinking about process, about writing, right? Because if you think about the numbers and you want the, the numbers that exceed the population in the country, then do you change your writing? Because you know your audience is who you're targeting is outside of the Asian American community. That's where the big numbers are, right? So, of course, it's great when the, the audience is diverse. But... Gosh, how difficult that would that be if um, to be an Asian American artist and having to think like, I want my music to be accepted by all, but then knowing that because of, you know, where we are as Asian Americans, how we are seen still, you know, the content that we deliver, it, you know, if you start talking about personal stories and stuff that's unrelatable to the mass, then you might be pushing away the numbers that you want. And so it, I think it's just so complex. So as artists yourselves, I mean, I, I don't know, like if you had a million sales, a million people buy your stuff, would you feel great about it if it was a million Asian Americans? Or would you feel great about it if it was like a mixed bag? Is a million a million? Or is a million re more meaningful when it's mixed? That is an interesting question. You, you <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm putting these guys on the spot. I mean, We're not artists. We can just, we can just interview them from now on. Yeah. Like, it can be the Sean Trisha yes. interview. Yes. Can, can I? Uh, I th I've got a comment though for what you had just said. Yeah. And I'm interested to know what you guys think about this. And just the other way, kind of like to go off of whether or not like we're devaluing our audiences. One of the things that like I think about a lot now and what I, I definitely bring up um, whenever I do some of these shows to the like the college kids is I'll definitely say there, I think that Asian is such a dirty word. I think that Asian is like a dirty word in our community and that there's a lot of I've, I've met a number of different Asian American artists, music, I'm just going to say musicians particularly, that don't like being classified as an Asian American musician. I'm not here for an Asian show. I'm mm -hmm. not a Korean American art. I'm not a Chinese American art. I'm just, I'm just an artist. I'm just an artist. And for me, I really emphasize the fact that like, no, I'm, I'm an Asian American artist. I come from this community. If I'm being booked for Asian American shows that I'm taking money from the, the, the community and like doing things that are like specifically like connected to the community, there's no way to get around that you're an Asian American right. artist like yep. doing things for the community right. Um, and you're making probably a majority of your your funds probably off of doing Asian American related things so I think it's really important that like for me it's all like don't I I, I I emphasize Asian such a dirty word. I'm proud of like saying that like I'm I'm an Asian American artist. That like even though I don't I don't rap about like Asian American things. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff's about Asian American things. It comes mm -hmm. from like the adoptee perspective mm -hmm. uh, that I think is obviously more relevant towards an Asian audience. But it's still pretty like universal towards other audiences too. And so um, I think that for myself specifically, in my mind, I'm specifically targeting probably like an Asian American audience because I know that like if I'm a smart person and I want to make music that I ultimately hopefully is going to get listened to people that I, I enjoy that, and I know that that generally an Asian American audience is going to like that, great. I'm, I'm being a, like a smart businessman as well as like a smart artist. But then beyond that though, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm watering down my music or my art. I think that it's again, 
I'm, I'm doing my best at whatever it is that I'm doing. And that I think that hopefully it's, it's broad enough still for people that do hear it that aren't Asian to still enjoy it. Yeah, and I also think that like there's, uh, for artists, like there's a way to um, think about what your relationship to your quote unquote Asian-ness is mm -hmm. and your relationship to the Asian American community is. Because I think there are some artists who, um, one artist in particular, um, I can't <laughs> we're speaking in codes here. It's, it's like, this community is too small. Um, one artist in particular who I spoke to, um, like they were saying like when they started out, there was a lot of pressure to be this like Asian group, like mm. you gotta talk about social justice, you have mm. to like represent your community, you have to only talk about your community. Mm. And then at a certain point, they were that they were just like, you know, we want to just make music that moves people. Yeah. And so then they just started making music that moves, peop moves people and it resonated and, you know, it, it was really successful for them. And I think one thing that's really important that I'm always thinking about is, is you know, when we're talking about Asian American music, whether or not you're at the show saying, hey, I'm an, I am a Korean American artist or I am not a Korean American artist, you're inherently your music is inherently Asian American mm -hmm. and I, I to like um, go back to like have a Yoda moment real quick like mm -hmm. there's this Shagohachi this, uh, player like a Shagohachi is a Japanese flute um, named George Abe who's like one of the godfathers of taiko like in in the world. Um, and we were talking one day and he was saying, you know, like I can buy the nicest shakuhachi from Japan. I can go train. I can learn all the classical songs. I can do all that. But my breath is still an American breath. Mm. And when I play shakuhachi, it's inherently American. Mm. And so with that, it's like, yeah, the stories you tell, even if it is a super personal story about love that has, you never say the word Asian <laughs> in your song. You never mention what you know somebody's hair looks like, or, <laughs> or your almond-shaped eyes, or something like that. You know, <laughs> like you know, like you, it's it's still if it's personal, it's still inherently Asian American story. So, like a, a perfect example of that, I think about is Mitski, um, or Mitski, right? Who I first I didn't even realize that Mitski, M-I-T-S-K-I, is Mitski, which is a Japanese name. Um, and in her songs, there's like random Japanese in there that you don't really catch at first. Um, but she's had like immense appeal just on the whole. But she's still speaking from just all of her experiences and I don't I don't know if she's going out into quote unquote going to the market like hey I'm a Japanese American oh, musician she, she does not hide it that's yeah, what I love about her but she's not <laughs> but like it's 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 not like it's not her front and center no, it's, no. Yeah. and that, that isn't to say that it's not important it's not her. important to her it's just that's she, it's not her vendetta yeah but she's also like you know she tweeted the other day in Japanese like it's it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's cool that you know I think we're at a point where artists are able to define the level of their relationship to their Asian yes yeah. sure and that's that's something that I had to learn um, over this past year, and I learned it really quickly. You know, when I first start, when we first started Tractivist, we were like, "Oh, you know, why aren't there so more Asian American artists like being proud of being Asian American, talking about it?" And you know, we're just gonna go out there and try to convince them, like, "You guys got to talk about it more." But you realize, you know, that's not being real. That's not meeting artists where they're at. You know, um, there's people that have all their experiences, um, and they can. Uh, be all about it they can be not about it but all of that is still valuable because it's still their American 
experience. It's still Asian American in that sense. So it's not something that we should judge or say like, no, you, you know, you're not, we can't, we can't mess with you because you're not talking about it. I, I think all those stories are valuable. That's what we're at now. Um, but what I think needs to happen still is that if you choose to talk about it, that it's okay. Like you're not feeling like it's going to F up. You're going to lose followers. You know, you're going to lose sales. Uh, that's where I think the problem is, is that, you know, there's still a hesitation that you hear among artists that they don't want to talk about it because they feel like it might, it might not be that interesting to people. And I'm, I'm, we're going out there saying it is. It doesn't matter what level it's at or maybe you don't talk. It's, all of that is interesting. Um, but if you feel like talking about it, just don't feel scared to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I think we should get past that personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, totally agree, Dan, I totally agree with what Dan was saying. Like, I think there is a certain dirt associated with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. word. And I mean, I think a lot of that's rooted just in like how it's it's an absurd word to begin with, like yeah. the idea of all of us being under one one roof. But Well, even if you don't, if you, even if you don't say the whole Asian thing, you know, if you want to be specific to your, 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 your ethnic heritage, you know, like that's what I mean is talk about your experience. Totally. Don't feel afraid to be who you are because I think what makes all these artists stand out, especially the ones that are, you know, moving up like Run River North or, you know, like Dan. Dan's a great example. Sorry to put you out like that. Damn. But it's, a, you know, we were, well, who were we talking about the other day? It's about authenticity. And if there's a piece of you that you can't talk about, that you can't write about, then, you know, audiences are missing out. They might not fall into you as fast or maybe at all because there's a piece that's missing. And when people, I think it was you, Sean, we were talking about authenticity. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, key is the more authentic we can get to our experiences, regardless where we, where we lie on the spectrum, I think the, the more that we're going to excel. And uh, the one thing, the two things to go off of that. First thing is, uh, in speaking for some of the artists though that like don't necessarily bring it. Like I, I, I actually think that you put it the perfect way, and that uh, they don't necessarily need to be. It's okay for them not to like yeah. talk about it. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need yeah. to be part of their. Uh, but if they are like asked about it, they shouldn't be ashamed about right. it. It shouldn't be like something they should feel out to like turn it down. Uh, I would say I don't know that genre as well, but like with electronic music though. The whole EDM scene, Asians are killing it. Yeah, and I think that that has a and they're they're straight up bringing diverse audiences for the reason that I think that when people. I think people are just okay with Asians being like EDM DJs and produ- like it's something they're. <laughs> is that tech? No, no, tech relation. We can unpack that. That, that is not even like not even. But I think they're yeah. just like used to seeing it though. Yeah. Uh, in in a good way. Like there's been so many like successful Asian like EDM producers. Mm-hmm. Toki Monster. Uh, Toki Monster. There's no such thing. The people yeah. just yeah. expect like they're like oh like that like that guy like uh, an Asian guy like DJ Hong. Yeah. Awesome, great. They know that they're going to go there for a yeah. good show. Versus maybe, understandably so, somebody's like, oh, an Asian American led like hip hop group, mm-hmm. uh, folk artist, uh, rock band. So they're like, m- like I, I haven't seen that before. I'm not as comfortable with that. So I don't know what I'm getting myself into. So like I, I understand. It. I'm not saying that's right, but I understand it. But the EDM scene though, straight up killing it. Just because I feel like yeah. people are, are, are used to like audiences are used to seeing that. So are you saying that we should just put all of our bets in the EDM? And just all <laughs> you know, that's where, that's where we're going anyway. All right, let's just do it. Seriously, I, you know when when some artist asks like, "Hey, what do you think that I should do?" I'm like, "Dude, you should start messing with some EDM because that's like that's a special genre <laughs> right now." Like well, Asians <laughs> EDM. Yeah, but I think that'd be cool. Like maybe we come back to that, like break it down. 
this genre why yeah. you know on our next episode oh. <laughs> yeah I was just gonna say the interesting thing about EDM though is that like EDM other than being like a more kind of like passionate community oriented genre where like it's easier to get people to be like yes I love this and go to a festival for EDM than like yes I love this to go to a festival or like a show for folk you know or something like there's this um passion right yeah. that that community has yeah. plus though EDM um or that whole electronic kind of style world I think um is a little, in a way more faceless you know mm-hmm. like you would recognize mm-hmm. Beyonce or, or you know just um a big star in a different genre a lot more than an EDM because you're like yeah I don't know what he looks like or she looks like but I know the song, I know the song. and so in the way it's great that Asian artists are doing well there, but it's also kind of. I, I think that that's a whole comment. Like, I, like <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I, I am like, I love no such thing. I love all these artists. Tokyo Monster is awesome, but yeah, like I, I'm always like. So the one place that we can excel is the place where <laughs> the we faceless. are faceless <laughs> and know, right? toying with electronics. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all What's about technology. So I just that's just questions, but no, I mean that I does know. that doesn't take away from the great fact that yeah. Yeah. But they are doing great things, yeah. Yeah. All right, shall we move right along? Yes. Okay, so we it is time for the cup. So, Dan, what's happening this week? So, this week, uh, we are talking about music that we think first discovered, or at least had some kind of connection to the blog Angry Asian Man. For a number of us, I think that we found, uh, for me at least, I'll just speak specifically for me, I know that I found a lot of music for the first time off of Angry Asian Man that were Asian American artists. And uh, I know that he's been hugely influential. And this is his 15th anniversary. He made it 15 years. Good job, Phil. Well done if you're listening. 15 years old. 15 years. And we actually think it's better that Phil's not here with us so that we can uh, honor him correctly because maybe we wouldn't want to say certain (laughs) things in front of his uh, beautiful face. Beautiful face. Uh, For a number of us, like he's an Asian American uh, activist culture blog. And I think for a number of us, he was the one of the first blogs that we read. And uh, he offered a view into Asian American lifestyle that we hadn't seen, including music. So we're going to be doing our first songs or songs that are related to Angry Asian Man. And I'm about to roll this uh, cup thing. Spin. Cup Spin thing. the cup. Spin this cup the thing. Cup. And here it goes. Ceiling. You guys can't see it. It's, it's pointing up it right now. Do a bad job. Trisha, you flex. roll it. Oh. Please. Right, let's do this. I'm going to get a drum roll. All yourself. Yourself. Myself. I'll go first. Yay. Song I picked is called Fool of a Kind, and it's by a band called The Marine Life. Let's hear it.
Okay. Really happy Ooh, song. That was, that was some nice harmonizing right oh, there. Oh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, now I really like this song, but I, I really like the band more. They are um, you know, all Asian American band um, from San Francisco. And members of the, the Marine Life are actually original members of uh, one of my favorite bands in college, gosh, called Julie Plug. Sort of y'all have heard of, but um, I used to listen to them a lot in college. And uh, while I lived up in the Bay, uh, Richie and I got to see them a few times uh, live in San Francisco. And during the time, I mean, I was just inspired by them because, I've, again, all Asian American bands are hard to come by. And, you know, they were one of the early ones um, who were doing their thing, you know, putting out a lot of shows and came out with some albums. So, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, Julie Plug a lot, but yeah, Marine Life was sort of their 2.0 coming out, and uh, that song, Full of a Kind, came out in 2014. Mm. Pretty yeah. recent. Yeah. So Julie Plug is actually a really special band for Trisha and I. I mean, we've been friends oh, for yeah. a while. Oh, yeah. Tell us the story. Mm. No, no, no. <laughs> so, yes, yes, yes. We were not Asian married American when we went to love music yes. podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Part of our history is that we uh, were involved with an Asian American record label, independent in San Francisco, oh. called Classified Records. Julia Plug was one of their bands, their first rock band, yes. alternative band. And um, yeah, we were trying to promote, trying to support that um, band. And we were going to all their shows, and that's where I invited Trisha to come out and check them out. I mean, that's not yes. the point. The point is, like, <laughs> you know, um, that was, it was a good time. It was a fun time to see what it was, or to experience what it's like to push an Asian American alternative band. Um, because they're all, they're all Asian American. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they got as far as, I think they had a track, like, on Dawson's Creek. Oh, wow. that's like right. That. That's cool. At the time, kind of, that's amazing. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty that big. amazing, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, that, that was that's a good time. True. So, you know, it's, it's cool that they're doing stuff still. And I wore out their CD, like, crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. their music was... Very relatable and, and pretty universal. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, you found that out an angry Asian man. Yeah, I was wondering. Did you well, that song actually, because there was there was like a long time of no music from them. And then they came out with Marine Life, um, you know, years later or whatever. And with that song, I think it was like a like a you know EP or something like four tracks on, on a seven inch, you know, that they came out with. So, it, you know, that being one of them. But yeah. All right, let's spin that. Spin, spin it. You got spin that, it. Trisha. You want me? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Hey, okay. Like, calm down. down. Keep up. Richie. All the Okay. For this one, actually, let's just get into it. So this is an oldie. This is the um, International Sweethearts of Rhythm. Baby 
right, so that was a song called Jump Children. Again, the name of the, the band was called the International Sweethearts of Rhythm. And um, so... I, I, you know, one of the things I really enjoy about like doing this, you know, Asian American, like getting into the Asian American music is like understanding that it's not just what's present, it's what's been in our past. And our past here in music has been pretty much as long as we've been in this country. And so finding these gems, finding these kind of songs, finding these kind of groups, like they mean a lot to me personally. And so I, I knew that this group existed. I mean, it was back in the big band area. So that was like, you know, in the 1930s. 1940s um, but uh, through Phil's blog through Angry Asian Man um, that's where I understood or at least learned about how the group was formed I thought it was you know uh, an individual um, so the individual in the group that's Asian American um, she is Willie Mae Wong uh, she's part uh, African I'm sorry she has a Chinese father and a mixed race mother and I thought she, you know she's just one of the talented musicians and it was just recruited in by the band but you know when the band first started um, you know it was a bunch of like 14 to 19 year olds and so uh, they were just trying to raise money and they started getting a, a name for themselves and they were called International Sweethearts of Rhythm but they were getting criticized because they weren't really international so they did this like recruiting thing and then uh, you know through Phil's blog, that's where I learned that uh, she was just pretty much playing stickball. That's what they said. She was playing stickball outside when they just picked mm -hmm. her up, taught her how oh, to wow. play the instrument, mm. oh, wow. and then you know, and then she you know obviously you know excelled at it because she's gifted. Wow. And then they just started touring so um, all around the country, and it's just a powerful story. To you know, uh, I think. Um, some of the videos are still around where they're they're recently interviewed, but you know, imagine being, you know, an art like a group. Like I think only one person in the group was white. Uh, the rest were either I think it says here Asian, Black, Indian, Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. So thirteen, like the thirties, forties. I mean, they toured the South. Jim Crow laws are still there, so there's interesting stories of how they would play in like sold out like concerts but they they had to sleep in their cars hmm. because they couldn't because the, of segregation they couldn't even stay in their hotels they couldn't they weren't allowed to be in the hotels they weren't allowed to stay at mm. restaurants yeah. and so um just knowing that the struggle has been around for that long you know um i find these pieces are very powerful because you know for the artists that are continuing to struggle you know because of racial issues in music you know the fight has been there for a very long time and but you know it's people like willie may Wong, you know, who have really, you know, um, pushed so that we can now at least tour and, and sleep in hotels mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. like I, it's advancement through other people's like, you know, active work in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and it's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like so many times I hear like Asian American music is new or Asian American music is a new thing or like mm -hmm. Asian American music hasn't started in the 80s with like XYZ or the 90s with XYZ or the mm -hmm. early 2000s or YouTube is what has created Asian American music when in reality there's been recorded mm -hmm. not even just like you know in the world but like recorded Asian American music that stretches way back to like pre pre like dinosaur dinosaur <laughs> but yeah like that that's existed for decades and decades and long time it's it's yeah. soon will be on like a century of that so okay i'll spin okay spin <laughs> Dun -dun 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 -dun. <laughs> oh, that, not when the manga verses <laughs> <laughs> 
Richie, what's going on? So the, 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 the really loves like flying and it just Rich, keeps Rich, oh, just not even trying. <laughs> just like pin it around. Right, that's me. Okay, cool. Um, well, let's just play the song first. My pick uh, is a song called Hyphenate, and it's by a guy, an Asian American artist named Darwin. <laughs> So I I started getting into Asian American music, I would say more recently than probably most people in this group. And um, it probably really came about in the last several years when I was, um, you know, developing my beginning as an artist and seeing who was out there and what was out there. And, um, and then last year, no, a little over a year ago, yeah, I started. So my Asian American music site called As I Am, and then for that, I just want to represent Asian American musicians, Asian American people in music um, from all ethnicities and on all levels and in all roles, you know, in the music industry. So I do have to do a lot of research and kind of like look for artists out there. And I think with me seeing who's out there as an artist myself and then also for the site, I have to um, look on the internet. And so I came across names and you just kind of follow the online thread. And um, this guy's name came up, Darwin. And I don't know if it was on Angry Asian Man, but I definitely um, was reading about him through the Angry Asian Man blog. And I think it's just so great that he supports, you know, musicians and people in the community who are starting out. And this song is back from like 2009, um, which is kind of like, I guess, how we were referencing before the whole YouTube surge and um, Asian American artists on that channel. But yeah, it's it's pretty awesome that he touches so, on so many issues, but he includes the arts and he includes musicians and he really gives shout outs, you know, and he has a pretty big um, following now for sure. Um, and I'm sure in 2009 too, so that he uses his clout to really, you know, shine a light on artists he supports. And I don't know if you could hear in the song, Darwin himself, I think is um, pretty vocal about his Asian American experience. And that whole song is about, you know, being Asian, being American, what is that? And what do you get because of that? So, yeah. Yeah, when Darwin, so I, I produced this show called Tuesday Night Cafe. Um, it's That's Sean. This is Sean. I produce a show called Tuesday Night Cafe. It's uh, the oldest Asian American free, consistent performing art series in the nation. And um, he's one of our associate artists, actually. So I think he's still on our website, <laughs> even though he's he uh, moved to Taiwan and kicked off this career and has become like a a heartthrob, if you will. <laughs> he grew his hair out. He was he was the entire time he was in America and then he has this like amazing Taiwanese pop star here now <laughs> and he has like, albums gravity. and he's like recording the theme songs to dramas and it's it's really cool mm. seeing him take off but I mean it's, it's another example of how you know you kind of have to go back sometimes to, yeah. to get traction and, and Darwin did make a lot of songs about just being Asian American too he, like I think the song that he won collaboration was a song called Take Off Your Shoes Yep. Uh, which is <laughs> wow. about taking off your shoes because you're girl, won't you take off your shoes? Yep. I, I don't know if that's how it was. They <laughs> don't want you take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Shoes, shoes. Ready to go outside. Shoes got to go up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I like that. Look out for Danny K. Dan's album. It's going to be lit. This should be like a doorbell ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> 
do we spin. have to spin it or do we just? So it's you two. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Oh, right. It is yeah. us two. I thought it was just me. Wait, let's spin. Well, Should you just can't. You just canceled Dan in your mind. I know. So. I know. I just, he's not. <laughs> Dan, you spin it, Dan. Maybe we need a new cup. It. Trisha, you go. Trisha, you do it. No, we've had so, so much history of this cup. Oh, yeah. All right, that'll go on me. That'll be me. All right, so I chose a song from this artist named uh, Ken Oak with the Ken Oak band. It's called yep. Analog Girl. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about that in a second. So I found uh, I found Ken Oak along with a num- number of other acts off of Angry Asian Man, and uh, this song in particular, I just I, I guess I chose him for the main reason that like he was it was him Far East Movement, uh, Burning Tree Project, and that was like my Asian American experience in college. <laughs> with, with regards to me, like this is yes. like very yes. pre like YouTube or like any of these other arts like popped out, and like, it was it was crazy because every single Asian American show that you went to, uh, it was a good chance that like Ken Oak, Far East, or like <laughs> Burning Tree Project would be one of the headlining acts. <laughs> yep. Mm, so that's, yep, that's wait, that's so real. Yeah. And then every, every, and, but I, but like it's not it, it it was a good thing though because I really generally liked his music. I bought his albums, and he was one of those guys though that like I will say that I probably bought his first album because he was Asian just cause, just for the pure fact that I'd never seen uh, a Korean American artist that I was like oh I'm really into this music this is dope and so I definitely bought his album because of the fact that he was he was Asian and then but from that though I definitely followed his career and like I I, I brought him out for shows at like San Diego State uh, and had him like book for like I was like anybody that needed like a suggestion I was like Ken Oak Band go, go get him so uh, I think a lot of us can probably agree if you had heard about him around that time that like he was he was kind of the guy uh, in his band and, and that that song was like the song that I'd always be like hey you got it you gotta play that song Ken <laughs> encore analog girl <laughs> play it so wow yeah nice. they, they actually uh, came to my my college too back in the day to perform live and I remember being like oh this is interesting because I think they were hosted by the Korean American Student Association but like my school wasn't is in Texas was in Texas and it's like so not the kind of school that invites musicians and people like people don't come to play at this place you know like at any ethnicity and and so I was like wow this is really interesting but yeah I definitely remember him and he was touring with his cello and his friend <laughs> yeah, definitely. I definitely have like signed copies. I think of his first two CDs and a T-shirt, as I was saying earlier. <laughs> and I still listen to "Cold of December" 
as one of my like emo winter songs <laughs> when I need to be alone in December. It's, 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 uh, it's good. It's good memories. It's good mm. memories. All right, Sean. All right. Um, I do want to, okay, so we're ending this on a bit of a note. Um, I do, I do want to offer up, um, I, the term that I, I just learned from my friend Audrey Quo, I do want to enter up, offer up a content warning. Um, this song is super racist <laughs> and there are words in it that are triggering and it is deals heavily with death and disaster in like a super disrespectful way. Um, to set it up, in 2004, on December 26th, I believe, um, there was an earthquake off the coast of Indonesia. And um, about 228,000 people died of that in 15 different countries across Asia and Africa. And Hot 97, which is one of the like biggest hip-hop and most respected hip-hop stations in the world, I would say. Um, Hot 97, super well-known. Um, I was growing up in Jersey at the time, so it was like the station I would listen to. Um, they decided that the best way to respond was to create this parody of the We Are The World song called um, the Tsunami Song. And it led to a lot of things. But I, I found this on Angry Asian Man, but I'll get into it a little bit later. So here is the Tsunami Song. I think it actually kind of works out that we end here because I, I I think one thing that Angry Asian Man has always been awesome about and I, so I started I started reading Angry Asian Man when I was about 13 and, and it really shaped a lot of the way that I had a window into the world um, and like he, he's heard me say this ad nauseum but it, it really as like a, a kid in suburban New Jersey without really connection to a larger Asian American context who was like learning all this history but had nowhere to like put it. It was really great to have this resource. And so um, around this time there was this, this show, um, I think it was called Miss Jones in the Morning, something like that. And so it, it featured um, this, this shock shock jock DJ named Miss Jones. Um, and then also on the show were DJ MV and this comedian named um, Todd Lynn. But then also there was this budding um, DJ named Miss Info 
who is, I believe, Korean-American, right? Thanks. So. Um, misinfo, um, who has become like one of the most respected hip-hop reporters, I think, or journalists in the scene. Um, and so she was on the show as well. And so what they did is they introduced a song which had already been playing, that had been in rotation, had been on the website. Um, and then right before they played this, uh, Miss Info jumps in and goes, Miss, Miss Jones is something like, we here at like the show created the song. And then Miss Info goes, not me though. Like I'm Whoa, not part of this. Wow. What kicks off is this exchange between all of them that gets very, very quickly confrontational. I guess it, it's bigger than the song. It's like they feel like Ms. Info always removes herself from the conversation. She always removes herself from agreeing with the rest of the team. They feel like she's not a team player. Um, it gets heated. It grows, it grows, and grows. And then Ms. Info says something to the effect of, well, like, as an Asian American, like, this song is super offensive to me. And I just want to make it known that I have nothing to do with this, like, just, you know. What mm. follows is, again, more back and forth. And in that back and forth, Ms. Jones says, I know you probably feel you're superior because you're Asian. And then Todd Lin, who's this comedian, says, I'm going to start shooting Asians. And you can hear this on the track. Like, if you go mm -hmm. on YouTube, you can hear it. Um, Todd Lin later, report, later apologized. Um, he said, like, you know, the station was fully supporting it um, until there was backlash. But there was indeed backlash. So Jin, the MC, wrote a response track. I remember that coming out. There were protests. There were petitions. Um, it was, like, a huge, huge controversy. And I remember on Angry Asian Man following it every day. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, have, I have distinct memories of, like, watching it kind of unfold. Um, and and mm -hmm. so... Uh, like in like it it was really it was really really a situation and then um Miss Info ended up actually getting the show ended up getting suspended and then finally after lots and lots of protests like every that whole segment and that whole show got shut down so I thought that this was like really fascinating at the time because not only was it again like you know just messed up <laughs> as, like like just on every level messed yeah. up as a song um I, I think I thought it was really interesting because it was a moment where you saw both um, a totally racist track that is aimed at Asian Americans, but then you saw a kernel of like tension in the room that was highly racialized, where there was mm -hmm. like that, you know, you think you're superior because you're Asian, which to me was actually kind of like a oh, like that's a reminder that Asian Americans in people color spaces. It's not that like like we can we can totally see ourselves as part of like a larger POC structure, but we have to remember that we're coming into that room with a lot of stuff that other people may may look at, and make assumptions about, rightfully or not. Mm -hmm. um, and like within our community, there's work we need to do to not only shift that perception but also shift our own actions. Mm -hmm. um, so it was an interesting thing because it complicated for me what it meant to be an Asian American because up until that point in the like two years that I've been developing my Asian American identity, you know, where I was just like this angry kid on Neil Pets. Um, I love Neil Pets. Where I, where I was kind of like, yeah, like, you know, as an Asian American, I see myself as part of a larger people of color struggle. Um, this complicated it for me. And it was a reminder that like, you know, within that term, people of color, we all have different positions and we all have different positionality. Um, and so that's, this has stuck with me. So when I was going through, um, I actually just stepped through his archives and was like scrolling through it and like what, because I was like, yeah, I can point to like, you know, that Magnetic North song I remember coming up or that, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I thought this was interesting because it really showed like how, what the power and the reach of Angry Asian Man was, which was it not only kept us informed, but it kept us informed and was an education in that information. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
that's why I'm with that. And um, it was also kind of funny looking through it because you're looking through like 2005 and you're seeing like, <laughs> the, the, the movies that were at Sundance that year. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like The Motel and Mysterious Skin and like all of the, these films that are total classics. But it, it's cool looking through the archive and seeing these snapshots of the last 15. Wow. That was a really good way to end this. Good job, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well good, put. And good job, Cup. I really, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Cup. Yes, magic. Yes, it knows. Well, so I guess we should just wrap it up and, uh, you know, thank you again for joining us, listening to our podcast that has yet to be named. Number one. <laughs> Number one. That's right. That's right. Uh, does anybody have anything they want to announce, plug, anything coming up? Um, for those in Los Angeles, April 19th is the second show of the Tuesday Night Cafe season. It'll be in the Autotani Courtyard in Little Tokyo. Please check us out at TuesdayNight.org. Am I the only one who's not saying? Just activists up to anything? Because you guys have been going to festivals and, you know, really representing um, Well, I just wanted to plug the, you know, the Los Angeles Asian Pacific uh, Film Festival that's happening. Yeah. Um, we had the kickoff over the weekend. And um, it's coming up soon, so if you're in the L.A. area or would like to take a trip to L.A., uh, please support um, some fantastic Asian-American film. Um, I am personally excited to see Bad Rap, um, which is the documentary about four Asian-American uh, rap artists, Aquafina, oh, yeah. uh, Dumbfounded, Rex Dizian, oh my gosh. Lyrics. Lyrics, sorry. <laughs> um, but that's going to be dope. And uh, there's going to be tons of other stuff, too. Um, so, yeah, that's Dope. come through. We should yeah. do a podcast at the LA Asian Film Festival. <laughs> Whoa. I just set up like somewhere and just yeah. force people to On deal stage. with us. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, we can do it. Let, let, let's give ourselves like a year. I'll talk to Francis. No. That'd be fun, though. Let's just do it. Just do it. People do that, right? People go to different like stuff and they just do podcasts. We could do like. Doesn't have to be official. We just show up with. A little mobile setup. We can do like a man on the street segment. Anyway, we'll talk. Fun. Anyway. Bye bye. Thank you, as always, Richie. Yeah, thanks, Richie and Tractivist. Thank you to ISA for housing us. Yeah. Okay, bye. That's it. Happy April.